Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Genesis. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm so glad that you are journeying with us through this first book of the Bible. Today, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 40 to 41. That's right. We are nearing the end of Genesis. As you know, Genesis only has 50 chapters only. So we only have nine more to go. Yay! But before we begin, let us start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, enjoy the clip, and we'll be right back. Folks who read your paper are going to care about some kid from Fawcett City? I think they're going to care a lot. And I hope they'll want to do something to help you and the other kids in your situation. What's that on your face? Eh, it's what you give for trying to be good. Should have just kept my mouth shut. Be good and good will follow. That's what my parents used to always tell me. But you know, Mr. Kent, I was good before they were taken from me. I was good at the foster home. And I was good 15 minutes ago. I'm starting to think being good isn't good for me. It seems that way sometimes, doesn't it? But that's because good is hard. Bad is always easy. Do good and good will follow. Is that true? We've journeyed with Joseph thus far. And no matter how good of a worker he was, no matter how successful his employer was reaping the rewards from him, he was still paid nothing because he was a slave. And now, even worse, he's a prisoner awaiting for his trial. The dude is suffering, even though he was doing good. So do, does this statement hold true? Do good and good would follow? Is that true? Does that happen? I'm sure you may have some stories of doing good and indeed good followed, such as recognition, like being the employee of the month, or being rewarded for what you've done, like a promotion. But have you ever had moments when you do good and you receive absolutely nothing in return? Or even worse, ridicule and suffering like Billy Batson in this scene that I just showed you. That regardless of all the good he did, he was still an unwanted orphan living in a youth hostel on his own, no family and no parents. Yet he still remains faithful to doing good to others, expecting good will come to him. Will it ever come? Or is it just a fleeting belief? See, I had those moments as well. And I'm sure you had. You get a lot of those moments, especially if you volunteer as much as I have, and trying to do my best in showing my faith through my work in the workplace. From my corporate world till now as a pastor and an executive director for a nonprofit. See, serving on nonprofit boards and strata councils and doing what's right behind the scenes at work, it's a thankless job, isn't it? And constantly, you are needed to do good. But many times, I personally don't see good coming my way in return. I get overlooked. I get pummeled if things hit the fan. But then again, what is the good am I expecting? Or am I like Billy Batson and defining good the wrong way? And that in fact, good has come my way without me noticing it. That's what we'll be talking about today as we embark on chapters 40 and 41. We begin with Joseph's encounter with two prisoners he was in charge with, Pharaoh's cupbearer 
and his chief baker. Both apparently are in prison because they offended, which also means sinned, against Pharaoh somehow. So let's pick up where, they've, where they're having a conversation in verse 6 of chapter 40. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? So he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Well, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Right at the start, Joseph again tells his audience and us, the reader, that everything that he does and everything that has been given to him is God's business, including his administrative skills and also his supernatural skills of interpreting dreams. Now, do we give God all the credit with our skill sets, our education and work experience? Because without God's provision, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Our work is our best testimony of who we are and to acknowledge that everything we have and what makes who we are is God's business. See, that's a good start. My business is God's business. My accounting practice is God's business. My engineering, my mechanics, my police work, my plumbing are all God's business. So right at the start, it is God's business that defines what is good. That creates our context today of defining what good is. It's in the realm of God's business. Okay, let's move on to verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, as he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph responds, This is what the dream means. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. Verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph interpreted both the cupbearer's dream and the baker's. Knowing that the cupbearer's dream was a favorable one, i.e. execution was not forecasted, Joseph requested that the cupbearer remembers him when things go well with him and mention him to Pharaoh so that he can be freed from prison and possibly go back to his homeland with his family, i.e. with dad, Jacob. However, as we read in the end of this passage, the cupbearer completely forgot or even exploited Joseph by purposely forgetting him. Here's a quote from Bruce Walkie in his commentary. Quote, he, the cupbearer, does not act on his duty to help Joseph, 
Two years will elapse before the cupbearer remembers, in verse 1 of chapter 41. His forgetfulness is not a mental lapse, but a moral lapse. He self-centeredly does not bother to remember himself with his former inmate. End quote. So again, Joseph does something good for others, and it appears nothing good came his way. The cupbearer forgotten about him, and he's still in prison working his butt off for nothing. Have you been treated like this anytime at work? Where you pull in extra time, you do extra work behind the scenes, and take the extra mile, but someone else takes the credit or the promotion while you're still stuck in your position? Or worse, when things hit the fan. Because you did most of the work, you get blamed for it. Welcome to Joseph's world. If you tell Joseph that karma exists, <laughs> he'll probably laugh at your face and point at himself. He'll probably say to you, there's no karma here, buddy. So here's the question before we embark on the next chapter. What will Joseph do now? Will he abandon God? Will he no longer remain faithful and loyal to God? See, if you recall in chapter 39, obedience Gratitude and acknowledging God as your master were the foundations for the Lord to be with Joseph. Will Joseph now see that this whole endeavor of obedience, of gratitude, acknowledging God as his master, will he see this whole endeavor as pointless? Or will he keep going and remain faithful and obedient to God? Let's move on to chapter 41, starting with verse 1. Two full years later. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Let's skip to verse 8. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by these dreams, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. He, we told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. An additional two full years plus the 20 in prison for Joseph. And God orchestrated his grand plan not only for Joseph, but the, for the history of Israel. God, it was God who planted the dreams in Pharaoh. Dreams that even the folks who have PhDs in interpreting dreams could not interpret them. See, remember, at this time, Egypt was the academic center of the ancient Near East. So Pharaoh had top-notch scholars, and they couldn't even interpret the dreams. So finally, the author says, the cupbearer spoke up. And interestingly, the cupbearer spoke with conviction as he used the word failure, which in Hebrew means sin, which is also the same Hebrew word as offended. So yes, for those keeners out there, the same offended used as to why the cupbearer was thrown into prison in the first place. What timing? It makes sense in a way, doesn't it, for this to happen? God gave Joseph the supernatural gift of interpreting God-given dreams. And in God's timing, it enabled Joseph to use his gifts for God's purpose, not for himself. Let's stop here to unpack this further. Recall our discussion on the God-given vision. 
like Abraham and like Jacob, we too are equipped by God to fulfill our God-given vision. We're equipped and wired with unique personalities, character traits, skill sets, particular acumens, particular habits and leanings, a whole host of inventory to fulfill our God-given vision. If we don't use our gifts for that, or if we shirk from those God-given visions or God-given opportunities, we become a stink, right? Just like Jacob, rather than a blessing to the people around us. God gives us those opportunities and he determines when those opportunities should arise so that when we use our gifts, they are not for ourselves, but for his purpose. Think about Joseph for a moment. If the cupbearer, just hypothetically, if the cupbearer mentioned Joseph right after he got out of prison, when Pharaoh didn't even have these dreams, would Joseph's extraordinary gifts be a blessing to Pharaoh? Would it be a, um, a perfect timing for Joseph to reveal that it was God who revealed to him of these dreams? No, because quite frankly, there was no opportunity to use them. It's amazing how God orchestrates the timing of opportunities to use our God-given gifts, our type of wiring, for his purpose. He knows when the timing is right, and his purpose and timing, timing it that way, far exceeds our purposes and what we see in front of us. We just don't know. It is God's timing to utilize our, our God-given gifts. So now, God gives two dreams that freak out Pharaoh and make him so desperate for an interpreter. In comes Joseph. What timing? Doing God's business is to not only to acknowledge that everything we have and all the skills we acquire belongs to him, it also means to trust in God's timing. Trust that God will reveal the reason for the things that are happening in front of us in God's timing. See, we may not know why things are not happening for us, that good things are not happening for us. We may not know why that when we utilize these opportunities, when we utilize our gifts for these opportunities, good does not come back to us. But in doing God's business, we have to trust that God will reveal his purpose in his time. And we just got to continue to trust and obey him. Let's move on. Verse 15. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. And no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Over to verse 25. Joseph responded, Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Verse 50. 
During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. In God's perfect timing, Joseph stepped up to the plate and exercised his gift of interpreting dreams while giving all credit to God. Joseph says, quote, it is beyond my power. Only God can do this. God is telling Pharaoh, end quote. Not only does this opportunity utilizes Joseph's gifts of interpreting dreams, it also utilizes Joseph's other skills, such as administration and governance, as he offered Pharaoh a practical solution. A practical solution. Something that is totally unusual at that time during the ancient Near East. Because culturally back then, when somebody has a bad dream, especially Pharaoh, usually it will be followed by mystic incantations and rituals and potions and lotions to get rid of the bad luck. But not Joseph. God gave him the gift of pragmatism and Pharaoh appreciated his practical approach. And even in light of Joseph's new status, Joseph still keeps God as his Lord by naming his two sons with names that really are praise hymns to God, thanking God for orchestrating his redemption on Joseph. See folks, this took a very long time. Every time I read this story when I was younger, I thought, man, things are going fast for Joseph. But no! This was a long time, 20 plus years plus two, in fact. How many of us can wait 20 years after we've done a good deed for God to reveal his purpose as to why we did it in the first place? Not many of us are that patient. We kind of want to know right away whether we will get any good in return. Yet that's not the kind of good God wants us to expect from him. The good that Joseph received would later reveal that this was God's way of getting Israel out of Canaan to separate themselves from sin and reestablish themselves as his people for his purpose and would later mature them in faith and obedience to him. None of this was for Joseph. Joseph never expected this. In fact, all he wanted to do was what? To go home. Yet God had a greater purpose for him and hence in God's timing, he gave Joseph the right opportunity to fulfill his God-given vision of blessing Pharaoh and save the entire land of, Egyptian, of, land of Egypt from starvation. Also, if you recall, when we were visiting uh, Judah and Tamar, Judah and Tamar's whole debacle lasted for 20 plus years as well. So technically, you could put them parallel. Joseph's situation and Judah's situation was parallel. And at that moment, at that encounter, when Judah met with Joseph, which we will later explore, Judah was, in a, was a completely different person when he encountered Joseph. Recall that Judah was this stuck-up, stubborn, complacent, immoral individual. Then Tamar woke him up on the, like near the 20th year. Now... Judah completely turned around 180 degrees, now encounters Joseph. And look at what happened to him during their encounter. Judah confessed and he humbled himself before Joseph. So it is God's timing in all of this. 
Why did it take 20 plus years? It could be to in order to have Judah mature in his faith for those 20 years until that encounter. All in God's timing. See, folks, I would like to share with you a few of my stories as well. When I was uh, leading uh, this uh, volunteer group called Kid Street over at Broadway Church, I always wondered if all the good work that I did was for any good at all. Uh, you know, you keep on uh, driving these kids to the warehouse. Uh, they call it the warehouse, but really it's just a, a gym. You feed them lunches. Every Saturday, we feed them lunches. We, oh, well, okay, let me go get back, let me backtrack. We go to their houses, which is usually the social housing complexes and low-income housing. We pick them up. Usually, the parents are not even there to be seen. One time, actually, I picked up a child, and his dad was just lying drunk on the couch with the door wide open. And the kid was just waiting for me to pick him up. Anyway, so we pick these kids up in a school bus, and we drive it back to the warehouse. We feed them lunch. We provide them with activities, games, make them feel loved. Then we return them back to their parents. Now, sometimes during those times that we get complaints from parents saying, how come you didn't feed them this particular lunch? They didn't like their lunch. So no appreciation, no gratitude. Also, sometimes we get blasted for returning their kids too late. Uh, well, like quite obvious, we have a lot of kids in our school bus and maybe there was traffic, but there was no understanding. We get pummeled for it. We get criticized for it. I've done this for almost six to seven years. I did this for six to seven years uh, while I was in university. And also uh, a few of my first years in work, at work. So I get pummeled and I ask God, I ask the pastor, our team ask ourselves, is this even worth it? Then after many years, uh, I, I was told by my pastor, by the pastor who was leading this ministry, that there were a few people that decided to be baptized and would later graduate from university and become and really settled down and loved God and uh, became so um, became so grateful that they too are now volunteering in this ministry. And I said, "Well, who are they?" And he told he told me, "Well, they were on the zebra bus." And we call these buses by animals. And the zebra bus was my bus. All that work paid off. All that work was actually for the good of God's purpose. All that work of taking care of them and trying to keep them separated and feeding them lunches and um, babysitting them and consoling them when they cry and getting pummeled by their parents for their ungratefulness and getting criticized and always going and waking up early in the morning, going to the church, making phone calls at eight in the morning, finding parents that like a drunk on the ground, all that stuff. All the times when I was questioning God, our team was questioning God, whether it was all worth it or not. And then 15 years later, uh, 15 years later, these children, turned out to be fulfilling God's purpose. That these children revealed God's purpose to me. And now they're baptized, they love God, they're part of the church community, and also they too are volunteering in this ministry so that other kids can have the same opportunity as they did. Praise God. And so folks, 
It is God's timing. It is all in God's timing. We may not know why God wired us the way we are, and we don't know why that God gives us these opportunities to exercise our gifts, to exercise our God-given vision, because sometimes it's so hard to see the good that comes out of it right away. But from me to you, as a testimony, good will come, and we will see that good. So what are the takeaways? Do good and good will follow? Is that true? Yes. But only if you define, you and I, define good as God's purpose being revealed. We do good, whether it be at work, in business, in our volunteering, in our families, in our communities, not for personal accolades or rewards. We don't do it to boost our self-esteem. We don't do it to fulfill our savior complex. If we do, we will almost always have moments of disappointment, like myself. Yet, if we define good as what we've discovered, i.e. acknowledging that everything that we have and whatever we do is God's business, two, that God's business is according to his timing, and three, the reason why we do good is to usher God's revelation of his purpose and plan in front of us, then indeed, good does follow. It may take a long time. For me, in this example, it was 15 plus years. For Joseph, it was 20 plus years. For yourself, it could be even just five or three or even the next day. Who knows? It may take long or short time. However, what we are called to do is to do what Joseph did. Trust and obey God through whatever we do in life, and God's purpose will be revealed. He guarantees it. Amen.